I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. And welcome to the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Amy Donaldson. If you're a regular listener of this show, then you probably recognize that my co-host Jason Lee usually does this part of the show. He is out this week. He is stepping aside so we can have a special edition of Voices of Reason. Uh, we're going to be t- discussing sexism in sports. Um, as most of you know, I started my career on the news desk, but I moved to sports in 2000. Spent 20 years covering everything from high school to Olympics. Um, and I was recently interviewed on uh, KUER's Radio West about my experiences in sports over the last 20 years um, and, and, you know, whether or not they – I had sexist or harassment or um, uh, any anything – you know, we will definitely edit this part. I was interviewed on KUER's Radio West um, as part of a program where host Doug Fabrizio interviewed Julie DeCaro, who wrote a book called Sidelined Sports, Culture, and Being a Woman in America. It's an amazing book. I highly recommend it. I read it before I did my interview. But um, they just wanted to talk to me about my career and where and how I had encountered sexism in sports. Now, let's be clear. I also encountered it in the newsroom and on the news uh, you know, in, with sources on the news side. So it's not that it's uh, it's everywhere for women. <laughs> um, but I uh, in my in the course of my interview, I told a story about sort of what, you know, sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. And I was very clear about this. This is not the reason I left sports. <laughs> there were a lot of reasons. Um, but but among the many reasons was I was tired of fighting for coverage for women's athletics. I was tired of fighting for space. I was tired of fighting um for access. I was tired of fighting in every way, right? And so um, I told a lot of stories, but one of those stories was about Mark Harlan, who was the University of Utah athletic director. I had interviewed him when he came to Utah and we had, I thought, a great conversation and had a good relationship. And uh, he came into the room and shook the hand of a competitor of mine and had a little chat with him and then left without saying anything to me. And I thought, why am I why am I killing myself for this job? And cuz I I had been covering the team every day, which is probably we're going we we I if you haven't guessed, I have invited Mark. It was actually Mark's idea. He reached out to me. He apologized and um we decided that this we might all benefit from having a wider conversation because I never meant this that interview or this conversation to be focused on one single episode or one single person. I think we all could do more to make um, uh, sports a more inviting and a less toxic place for women. Um, I don't think there's a woman working in a sports field. I think there are many reasons. If you read Julie's book, she talks about how it never had its Me Too reckoning, like other, uh, you know, the, the entertainment industry or politics, you know. They, Me Too sort of nipped at the heels in sports, but uh, it didn't have a, a widespread impact. And that's really unfortunate because I can think of a place, in my opinion, um, that's that it has it is more needed. The other thing is it's often overlooked. Um, I do a lot of news reporting as well, and it's often overlooked by people who consider themselves progressives and feminists because it's sports, right? It's not important. It's not politics. It's not business. And so they don't see women who 
beg for access to interview people after a baseball game <laughs> as, you know, trailblazers, right? I do. I think I, I, my mentor had to go to baseball games in a dress and heels. And after a muddy game, she finally said, you know, forget it. I'm not doing this job if you make me do it in a dress and heels. But I, I think there are, I absolutely see them as trailblazers. I think we benefit so much from women's perspective. So we have this really special edition for you where I've also invited two of my favorite uh, colleagues, uh, Sarah Todd from the Deseret News. She is the uh, jazz beat writer, and she has just launched an amazing new podcast. Subscribe to it today. It's called Unsalvageable, and uh, she co-hosts with uh, Greg Foster, right? And um, and then Michelle Bodkin, who's done a myriad of stories, but I know her best as a beat writer for uh, a number of publications. She covers Utah sports. She's covered a lot of different Utah sports, most I know you mostly for gymnastics and football, probably because those are a couple that I'm really interested in and they've been really good at. So, um, And then we have uh, Mark Harlan, uh, University of Utah Athletic Director. And so I'm going to turn everyone's mics on so we can all have a, a conversation. But first of all, welcome to all of you and thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely excited about this. Yeah, thanks for inviting are you the most excited, Mark? <laughs> I'm fired up. No. So w- I want to start with you because um, this conversation is happening because of our conversation. You reached out to me. You texted me, I think, Monday, the day that you heard it. Um, tell me what um, what your thoughts have been in the week since. It's been about a week and a half. What what, what have you been thinking about? Yeah, well, you know, I, I had interestingly enough, I had just read the article about Sidelined coming out, and I had read it on Sunday, and I showed it to my daughter because, you know, we were we were actually talking about the whole subject, and then the next morning, you know, I I I heard about you know your comments on the podcast, and I got a chance to listen to them, and I just went, oh my goodness, and of course that's when we reached out and we had that that call, and of course the first. Th- when you hear something like that, you go through, okay, when, where, how type moment. But I quickly kind of moved on from that, you know, once we, once we were able to talk. And I think, you know, I believe strongly it was unintentional, Gus, because if it was intentional, that's just about the rudest thing you could do to anybody. But as we talked about, I don't think it really matters if it was intentional, unintentional, that's how you felt. Mm-hmm. But the thing I've really thought about over the last week is – the act happened, but the fact that you didn't tell me about it, I think, says a lot about maybe the problem here, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. In that if you go up to the athletic director or you go through our media directors, specialist, if your thought was or in any similar like situation that that's going to cause even further problems, then how did I, how would I get better, right? So I didn't learn anything. And then – obviously what it did to you. So I've been thinking a lot about that, how we look at any situations and make sure it's not a threatening. How are we going to get better? How is your industry going to get better interacting with us if we don't know things that we didn't do right? So I think I've been reflecting a lot about that, making sure we have a culture uh, that people can talk when when they're upset about things. Obviously, within our organization, we have incredibly talented women throughout the organization. I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, I could go on and on with incredible women that work in the organization. And the other thing I'll say from also reading the, the, you know, the article about Sideline and obviously after our conversation is hadn't really given a thought about women that are covering us. I just looked at his press, right? And there is a natural sometimes wall that, that is just by nature of our two different type of jobs that are so similar in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've given a lot of focus on that and I've talked to some staffers already in the last week about that. So it's been a good week of reflection mm-hmm. um, and learning, certainly. And I do know you just uh, – one of our favorites, Jordy Lindley, she just got promoted yes. to assistant communications director. Um, I just wondered for me too quickly, we have about a minute and a half. Do either of you have a situation where you were denied access to something or you had a similar type of experience? Well, I can remember situations where – you know, like Mark was saying, it might not have been intentional where you were made to feel like that. I, I give the example a lot. When I was in my first years covering the Golden State Warriors, I would do a radio hit and it felt like every time that I would do it, you know, you hear the producer on the line and you can hear the radio going before and after you do the hit. So you can hear them talking and they're like, all right, Sarah, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you next time. And then I'm off, but I can still hear them. And they say, wow, she really knows her stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they meant to make me feel bad. Yeah. But I'm like, 
Yeah, you called me. Yeah. I'm the expert. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I thought maybe, oh, it's early in my career. That'll settle down. I've heard that countless times, and I've been covering the NBA for almost a decade now. Yeah. Michelle? I've never been denied access, and I think part of that is due to I've mostly covered the University of Utah, and when I started, Liz Abel was over the sports information department at the time, and I think that was just a really helpful thing for me to get started. But, I mean, there's certainly been other instances where I've felt very small and Mm -hmm. uh, underappreciated. Yeah, and we're going to talk about some of those. We're going to take a little break right now. We're going to come back and delve a little bit more into those situations because I think people are saying, well, them telling you you know your stuff, that's not insulting. And we're going to explain to you, we're going to break sexism down a little bit because I think that's the one thing I want everyone to take away from this experience is understand the problem better and you can do more to solve it. So you're listening to The Voices of Reason. Welcome back to Voices of Reason. This is Amy Donaldson flying solo this week. Well, I'm flying without a co-host, but I have three hosts, three three co-hosts. This, we're having a roundtable discussion about sexism in sports. I'm joined by Sarah Todd from the Deseret News, um, Mark Harlan from the University of Utah, and Michelle Bodkin, a longtime uh, uh, freelancer, covers uh, University of Utah, sp- all sports really, but mm-hmm. a lot of football. I think most of us know you as a football uh, writer. Probably. Um, and, um, and so... Uh, Sarah, you mentioned before the in the last segment about um, you did radio hits and you could hear them saying, wow, she really knows her stuff. And I've had that experience where I, I somebody is telling me, a football coach is telling me something and and he starts, he says, do you want me to tell you? What? And I, no, I'm fine. You know, I just keep, keep talking. You know, I'm trying to, t- to do a story here. I don't need it to have an explanation to me in the middle of, you know, what, what a route it, you know, whatever the problem is. Right. And so. Um, I said, you know, just keep talking, but it, I think people, they don't understand why that's insulting the same way I've had people say, I don't understand why it's insulting. If somebody tells you you're attractive, you've had this experience. I've seen her, uh, Michelle doing videos on the field after a game and being heckled by fans. Am I right? Yeah. yeah. It's, that's happened before. And I, I don't. I'm not going to play stupid on this. Like, I, I get it. I yeah. I get it. Yeah. You know, I'm not an idiot. And I've, yeah. I've heard this pretty much my entire life from the time I was a kid. You're so pretty. You should be modeling. Why aren't you doing pageants? Why yeah. aren't you? Yeah. And it's like, the hell? I'm smart, too. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm really smart. You know, I graduated college in three years. I don't know very many people that do that. Yeah. So... But so I and I think people are always wondering, like, why why do you think that's insulting? Right. And so I, I, I would like to explain now and you guys can add your thoughts as well. But for me to be the assumption, it's it, it reveals the assumption that I don't know anything about sports because of my gender, that I can't do this job because I am attractive. There there are these assumptions that people make whatever they are um and and they're they most often get directed at us and so it's not a compliment when you say and the other thing is i will say this whenever you're compliment you can say hey that's a really nice sweater or mm-hmm. you look nice tonight or what those are fine we're not saying right. don't do that we're not saying don't be a human being we're saying don't reduce women to body parts don't say uh those are nice leather pants that is sexist. And I don't I know that you probably didn't mean it and I understand that. But but you and I talked about this Mark. Unintentional doesn't feel any different than intentional and sometimes it feels worse because it tells you that people who care about you and who like you and who want to work with you also see you as less than. Right? To me that feels worse than somebody I know just doesn't like me, doesn't want to work with me. I expect to be I expect to have an issue with that guy. But when it's somebody that I like and that we've worked together and then they have this moment, I think, not this guy. Come on. We need you on our side. Do you guys ever feel that way? At times. Yeah. You know, I, I it's one of those things. I, I really try to not take things overly personal. But but there are definitely instances. There, there's things that I've noticed, you know, certain fans will – 
tweet at Steve Bartle, who we've worked together forever and ever, and Steve is amazing. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they ask him the serious questions about, and then it's like, well, what are you planning on wearing to the game? And I'm like, I'm not even going to freaking answer that question. Or I'll see you walking onto the field and hear people yelling at you. This happens uh, (laughs) at at practices, at games. I'm not, I'm not, and then... And people are like, oh, what? Just just don't be so, you know, uptight. What's wrong with you? And I would like to say this, and then I'm going to go to Sarah, but I would like to say that when you yell at a woman from somewhere else, what I hear is, I'm a predator and you're prey. It is don't a little do terrifying. It. Yeah, I'm not here for your entertainment. Neither are they. Just stop doing it. You keep your comments to yourself. Sarah? Yeah, I've had those situations where, you know, someone will scream my name from within the stadium and I'm looking because someone is yelling my name. And then I'm thinking, do I know this person? Oh, no, I don't. That's just a stranger that's screaming at me. Yeah. And that's a weird situation to be in. Yeah. And I've, I mean, and I've had many situations that, you know, you were talking about one of your mentors having to wear a dress and heels. I was told after a game one time, because I wear pretty exclusively jeans and sneakers to everything. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a dress and heels kind of gal. And I was told... Um, by a pretty high up person, you know, you could afford to wear a pair of heels every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And it was oh. it was at the arena after a game, and I was like, "What do you mean I could afford it?" First of all, <laughs> I'm in journalism; I can't afford it. <laughs> Print journalism, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and those situations are so weird because it puts you in a mind, like you said, you were saying, "Don't reduce women to a body part," and that goes for a compliment and an insult. I'll see male reporters that are like, oh, that guy's stupid. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He has the worst takes. I wish that's how people insulted me. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's literally a whole Reddit forum about me from my time in Philadelphia. And one of the first posts is, what does it take to get a job at the Philadelphia Inquirer, a GED and a weight problem? Mm. And yeah. so, yeah. and and that's something Julie talks about in her book, that when when fans criticize uh, male sports writers, they criticize their their takes they criticize their perspectives you know but they when they criticize women it's always personal i mean i've i've had this experience just in debating title nine i'm sure you run into this a lot mark and in, in being an athletic director i'm always throwing it back to the athletic directors don't blame women for the sports that get canceled athletic directors make the call they decide which sports stay and which sports go and and where you know, can they raise enough money to pay for whatever? That's not women's fault. That's the that's your athletic director. And and I will say those kinds of things or I'll call someone out for saying something sexist. And they take it very personally and it becomes this – I feel like even though it's over an email or Twitter or whatever, that it's a, it feels intense, right? And then I see this a man making the same argument and they're actually having an interesting – you know, it's still they're on opposite sides, but it's a debate, which I'm used to. I just I, I don't mind. I'm not like shy about debating things. I am averse to t- having a personal confrontation with someone. I, and I, you said you this whole entire thing. Again, we're up against a break. But so we have like a minute and a half. But from an athletic director's point, is there anything you can do as far as in the training or in talking to your coaches about how to deal with reporters, is there anything that organizations can do to make people more aware of just these small little things? Well, of course. I think you have to focus in on on the values of, of the organization. And if one of your values is treating people with respect and dignity, then then you have to talk about these things. That's why I'm here. We need to talk mm-hmm. about these kind of things. You know, do you stru- do you see the shoe comment like as a of course a, it's you just know, you yeah, know there's you probably people at your organization that don't see that as insulting uh, though yeah well you know I think everyone's going to take different things you know in, in different ways but you know hearing those things it's 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 troubling I mean it's and and you know when I don't have that kind of an experience all you can do is listen and try to learn and 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 think about what you can do in my case as a leader to say well how can you make sure that in the organization you know, you're fostering those kind of things. And I think it gets back to you got to have some really good female leaders on your team because we're flat out going to miss it as dudes, you know. And, you know, Charmel Green is our deputy. And, and you know, we talked about Liz Abel and the, and the trail that she blazed here. I mean, so 
when you hear about fan comments, you know, those are that's a different level. And I think that's a level where we need to get more into about about those kind of things. You know, we so sensitive when they go after our student athletes and they do, uh, particularly in gymnastics at times and particularly in football. And, and so you see that kind of filth. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but to hear what you guys go through is is, is certainly really troubling. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about some possible solutions. And I, I want to know from both of our writers what you see as some what are the what are the solutions? Uh, you are listening to the Voices of Reason. Welcome back to the Voices of Reason. This is Amy Donaldson um, without my co-host and uh, and uh, board operator Jason Lee, flying solo. Um, joined today by Sarah Todd from the Deseret News and the Unsalvageable Podcast, Mark Harlan from the University of Utah, and Michelle Bodkin, who covers University of Utah sports for a variety of organizations. So um, we've been talking about sexism in sports. I want to go back to something you were just about to tell me offline because I think – you, you told us a story in the last segment about somebody saying you, you could afford a pair of heels, um, the implication being you should afford a pair of heels. You should buy You should wear heels. Um, and so I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about that, um, you know, sort of what you see as far as that experience, how you interpret it more in your job. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that, you know, there's no winning for me in that situation because if you wear a pair of heels or a dress, then you're like usually termed a sideline Barbie. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a term that I have heard a lot in the, in the sports industry. Uh, and I don't, I don't wear that kind of clothes. I wear a turtleneck and a pair of sneakers and I'm still going to get like cat called and heckled at games. But if I even wear like a buttoned up sleeveless blouse, like I'm wearing right now, I have full sleeve tattoos. And then I get emails from readers telling me that I'm disgusting and unprofessional and I'm like, you've seen the NBA, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, if anything, the, the way that I look makes me more relatable to the players that I'm covering. And the guy's jersey you just bought for your kid probably has yeah. like double what I have here. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, and Michelle, your thoughts on, on that sort of the dre- – you and I have actually talked about this. Yeah. Because we've both suffered for – I, I dress like Sarah. I'm, I dress in – Jeans and right. and tennis shoes, and sometimes I don't even shower. And Michelle is <laughs> Amen. All, Michelle is uh, always looks like she's just come out of the boardroom. You look great. Well, and I mean, part of that is due to opportunities. I work in professional settings and take time off to go and cover these for free. Mm-hmm. Like, let's let's be clear on this. I'm doing this for free, yeah. basically. I don't yeah. get paid a lot, and I pump out way more content than people that are getting paid at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, and you do that, and that's the other thing. It's so hard for women to break in. Men get to learn on the job. They get to mess up. They get to be bad at their jobs. But if you make a mistake, it's because you're not good at sports. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. I care care too much about how I look or, you know, what whatever else, and I'm not focused on whatever. But... You know, there there have been people that have been mad at me that I'm there showing off. And it's like, no, I came from a professional setting. This is what women wear in a professional setting. I'm sorry that that is so offensive to you. Yeah. And or it's what you want to wear. You love heels. We've I talked about this. I do love heels. I, I've been wearing sneakers a lot more because getting old sucks. <laughs> 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 I can't I can't do it for quite as long and and treat them like sneakers the way that I did when I first started but yeah no I have a I have a great shoe collection and I like wearing them and yeah and you're wearing them for yourself uh, here's another point I'd like to make we do whatever we do for ourselves oh yeah I don't really I, yeah <laughs> I don't want to swear but I really do not give a flying rat's fart in space what you think about how I look I yeah. really don't no and that's I think that's the other assumption that I always struggle with is that somehow they've made this assumption that you picked out your clothes for them for them <laughs> yeah. yeah because they will or won't approve <laughs> I'm like yeah. look at this look at press row yeah <laughs> yeah that's what I'm always thinking too it's like Either we're too dolled up, we're not trying hard enough, we're trying too hard. Meanwhile, I'm usually sitting by like four dudes. <laughs> that look like they just got done mowing their lawn. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know. I was. I actually. I I was running once on a set, and it was during spring football, and I was. I had fallen, so I was much slower coming down the mountain than I expected, and I was supposed to be helping Dirk with football practice, cover football. And so I thought, do I go? I like blood dripping down the side of my leg. I'm in my running clothes. I'm sweaty and covered with dirt. And I thought, eh, I've seen the sports guys. I could go like that. So I went like that, and it was fine. It was no big deal. I was just getting quotes for Dirk. But, you know, I did think about it, and I'm sure they don't think about it. No, they don't right? think about it I was like, at will all. anyone – Will I be in trouble? Will they tell my boss that I came dirty and bloody <laughs> to, to practice? So, but I, I do want to come back to you, Mark, as far as organization goes, because you said as long as you have women in the organization, and I do think that's, that's a factor. Important. Yeah, as far as like you have you have SIDs, sports information uh, directors, they give media access, they get story ideas out to us, but I actually feel like it has to go one level farther, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this. I feel like you have to have, and I've seen BYU doing this a little bit. I don't know as much about what you guys are doing, but um, having women in the organization, in traditionally male organizations, I feel like one gender together is never good. you got to have some difference of opinion and some Absolutely. diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about having more women involved in the coaching, not just the support of the football people, but, right. but like in the coaching universe, like doing things with the players? Maybe they're not – Xing S's and O's, but they're they're fitness. Um, you know, they're right. working with strength and conditioning or something like yeah, that. No, it's very important. I mean, it, we're, we're talking about media here, but yeah, within the organization, you know, as you know, it's not just a football program. We have 575 as of today mm-hmm. student athletes and and many female athletes and many female coaches. And but what's really interesting, and I, I, and I saw this when I came to Utah, and I really felt like they were ahead of the curve. And Michelle, you kind of alluded to this a little bit. I wonder if this is not a part of it. There are women surrounding a lot of our men's sports in various mm-hmm. different roles in the training area, in strength and conditioning, our nutritionists, um, our, our social media uh, folks around the football team are women. And they're all, many of them embedded in the football. Um, you know, and I think you talked about Liz. I think Liz and, and Chris, too, had a lot of values in that area. And then just in our overall leadership, I mean, I think I, five women in, on the senior management team. So it's just very, very important. It's the same thing with, with any of the diversity issues that we talk about. But now, at the end of the day, the director, myself, has to make sure that the values permeate through and that they're being heard. And and that's really, I think, the most in, important aspect of my role is to make sure that, that uh, they're not just there. They're being heard and they're leading. Yeah. So have you gotten uh, women coming to you and saying, I feel isolated or I don't, this isn't working for me or people are saying things like this to me? Do, do, you know, I certainly I in my you, career. No, here. I'm talking about yeah, just in here. This, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't think of anything directly that has come to me of, of late. Um, certainly I've had a lot of conversations, uh, you know, with the women that report to me, but I can't think of anything particular. But that doesn't mean it's not happening. Well, I guarantee you it doesn't mean it's not happening. It means they don't feel comfortable talking about it. I mean, I and I, I, you know, what do you do about that? Let's let's take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, sort of what that means. We're going to go short on this one so we can go long in the next segment. So you're listening to Voices of Reason. Welcome back to Voices of Reason. This is Amy Donaldson flying solo today, sort of, without Jason, so I feel solo. Um, But I also have some great um, people. We're having a roundtable discussion about sexism in sports, joined by Sarah Todd, uh, beat reporter for the Jazz for the Deseret News. Um, She also is the host of Unsalvageable, amazing podcast. You should subscribe today. Um, And then we have Michelle Bodkin, who's a freelance writer, covers all University of Utah sports and also some other stuff uh, you've done a little bit of jazz mm-hmm. here and there as well. Um, and Mark Harlan, the University of Utah Athletic Director. Um, I wanted to go back to if you're not getting those reports, is it actually happening, right? Um, and I, I think I, I see Sarah nodding and let me just jump in if you have a difference of opinion on this. But I feel like if you're not getting reports, then you have an environment that is not conducive to people feeling comfortable telling you the truth if, because this is happening. If it, it, any sports department, 
any sports organization, I can tell you a story. If I've if I've covered your organization, I can tell you about either my own experience or somebody else's because we've come we've had issues where people will say what what should we do about this? We've strategized with each other. It's not quite to the extent of some big cities because I do think there's a politeness here that is um, it, it extend it makes us a, a a more polite environment. They don't they might think the sexist thing. Some of them don't say it. Um, but yeah, I think that if you're not hearing it, that the, there is a reason for that. And I, I think one of the reasons we don't like I didn't chase you down and tell you, that because I have had those conversations with people about sexism, is because I need access to be able to do my job. And I think the access issue in sports really locks in a lot of bad behavior. And Sarah, what do you think of the whole access? Not problem? just access. I need a job. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. access is the bonus after I actually get hired. I've been in situations where, I mean, even if I, from the beginning process of getting a job, if I'm looking at an organization or, or a news outlet, I'd look at their masthead and see how many women they have in the sports department. Because if they have some, then I automatically think I don't have a chance because they've met their quota. And then once I'm actually on staff, you know, you'll have, you know, you know, upper management or people, and this just isn't for a news outlet. I imagine this happens in every industry where, you know, you'll have people that say, if you have problems, come to us. We want to fix these problems. And that's not enough because that's not going to erase the history that women have experienced. Because my immediate thought is if I complain, and that's the problem, is that I think about it as, a, as, complaining. as complaining. Yeah, and so if, do they. If I bring up an issue that is a problem then it's going to be viewed as complaining. And if I end up leaving this organization and going to another one, is that going to follow me? And then I'll be known as the woman who complains. Yeah. Is there a reason you don't bring things to people's attention? I I think at least early on it was because I was taught to be – and not from my parents actually, so yeah. to speak, but society taught me – you be polite. If someone comments on how you look, you say thank you. If they ask you out, you say yes. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and the older I get, the more I'm like, mm, nah. Like, no, I don't want to go out with you. And I've been called some really nasty names mm-hmm. denying people dates, people that I don't even know on the internet. And mm-hmm. and that's another end of it, too, is... You guys have such an unfair advantage because you know who I am because I am open about who I am. I don't have a clue who you are and you want me to go meet you someplace. Mm-hmm. Are yeah. you, that's yeah. totally sketch. Like, I'm sorry. That's not going to happen. The whole social women on social media is a whole different. We could do a whole thing. show just yeah. on that. Yeah. I, I, I see both of your mentions and I. I feel like your mom sometimes. I like I'm like going down the rabbit hole finding these guys deciding if they're dangerous <laughs> and if I need to report them to Twitter, which I have done on both of your timelines, by the way. <laughs> I'm older than both of you. <laughs> I'm very heavy with the block button. Right? Yeah, block yeah. and muter. Great friends. But you know, I I would say this, and um, and Mark, I wondered your thoughts on this. Like, is there a way that um, we could talk with, like, that you could open a dialogue between coaches and um, and even players, I think, to some degree, where we could talk about this stuff in general, because I do think that if it's not targeted at you, you've had it targeted at you, and it doesn't feel very good, I'm assuming, right? So Sure. Yeah. You know, that part, feeling good or not, I just think it, yeah. it's just opportunity to learn. Is the way but I, I mean, a lot of people will be defensive if you say that you hurt my feelings or you that what you said. I, I've had this experience where I told someone, like, I can't do the interview that I came here to do because in front of all these people, you just took my power and I'm out. I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, and that person did end up apologizing, but there's a real defensiveness. I think when you call someone out right on the spot and I really reserve that for what I feel are like almost dangerous situations or I've had six or seven in a row and they catch me on that day, then I might say, <laughs> I, I can't do it today. I know. I mean, it, it does happen. Like, I mean, and that's really what happened between you and I was it was just this progression of me trying to promote women's sports inside my own organization and 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 with our readers and, and on Twitter and, and listening to Sports Talk Radio, which is 
just if it's just the think worst of, yeah. for women. Yeah, I've you, been disre- I have been disrespected by the people that do sports radio here more times than they've actually had me on because I'm good at what I do. Yeah, I mean, and that, and we have to listen to that. So we'll do a story or a column or something, and then they dissect it. And I'm like, they don't do this to the male columnists, like, no. you know what I mean? It's just more, much more about. It's much more personal, and so I think when you have all it coming at you from all those angles, something small like the heels or the not shaking my hand just feels worse. It feels like, oh, it's just another, you know, I feel like the guy, the knight in the Monty Python movie, like it's not a flesh wound anymore. <laughs> it's <laughs> real. Yeah. Well, that's what it. it struck me about our conversation yeah. last week. It was a deep hurt and it was a real hurt. And, you know, obviously you go from feeling terrible about it, but then like we've talked about, you learn getting back to what you were just saying, of course. I mean, the great thing about an athletic department, it's why, had opportunities to go to pro sports and, and do those things. I just love the fact that it is the end of the day on a college campus where we are educating young people. I mean, flat out, that's what we do. And if you go back to the George Floyd murder and everything we've reacted to and, and had conversations with our students, particularly the our black students, and, and listening to things that you never thought of before, particularly when mm-hmm. you're, you know, look like me, it's just been such a journey in this last year this is just something else I think that we need to add to the overall uh, learning environment that we need to have about this. And yes, to get your question, I mean, working with our students, uh, the great, not only just the, the women leaders in our department and our coaching staff too, but also the resources at a place like the University of Utah. So I think we're kind of a, it's, it's actually a perfect opportunity um, with this. And getting back to what you asked me in the first segment is certainly people on my staff are aware of what happened. We had a senior staff meeting. We talked about uh, uh, what happened here and um, it was a great conversation. So that's already kind of begun Yeah. out of these things. You try to really find the positive of it, but, but uh, it's just, it's it, obviously in our setting, it's a great opportunity to teach, but in this case, not just teach our students, teach ourselves. Yeah. And I would love to see you bringing student journalists in and having panel discussions with young players that are coming in and are going to deal with the media about what that's going to be like. I don't think everyone gets the same media education. Some Mm -hmm. kids come in as four-star recruits and they've had a million interviews. It's always a challenge. Yeah, and It's always a challenge and and we work hard on that. And some of them have never done it before. Some of them have done a lot. Some of them do great. And it is a constant, a constant challenge. And now we're heading into name, image, and likeness, and they're going to have these brands, and they're going to get monetized. So you can imagine everything we're we're looking at. But you're right; it starts with education, with our coaches, with myself, with our senior staff, and then with our students. Certainly. Yeah. You you were going to say something, Sarah? I I think it's such a good point that you bring up because I don't I don't want this conversation to sound like it's just like oh here's one bad thing that happened to me and a bad thing that happened mm-hmm. to you and a, here's all the bad things that are happening. But your point, Mark, about education, you can parallel that with, you know, learning and educating yourself about the black experience, about your student athletes. Listening is such a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're saying these things and telling people the experiences that we've happened so that you can listen and try to understand better what we go through. It's not like we just want to complain about these things. Actually, most of us are very silent about this right. for the majority yeah. of the time. Let, let me just say that I've tried doing this in the past, and women are like, I need to work in this city. You know, it's a small town at the at the heart of it. Like you say, everybody knows everybody. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, and I have been reluctant to do it. I'm just out of sports right now, so I can talk more freely. That's one of the reasons I did the interview with Radio West, but I think it is a problem that women don't feel comfortable talking about it. I know, like I said, I know of women who've had bad experiences with every single organization, um, and including high schools. And um, I'm, I, I wish there was a way we could band together and like help them understand more. But I think that the last thing I kind of want to leave people with is this idea of why it matters. Why does it matter that women are covering sports? that they're coaching, that they're involved in your organization, Mark, in, in high school sports? Why is it? Why does it matter that we're in this universe? And I would say this. I, I always say this about playing sports. If vegetables are good for your boys, they're good for your girls. We just want to do what we love. I love sports. It's the only reason I graduated high school, I'm convinced, right? I hated school. I had a learning disability. Um, writing for the school newspaper and going and playing sports was the reason I even, you know, had any fun. And so I feel like 
you know why you love it. You know how you feel at a jazz game or a, mm-hmm. a Utah football game or a gymnastics meet. You, you know how you feel as a fan. Understand that that's how we feel about our jobs. It's really fun. We really love it. And I'm very inspired. I, I love both of your stories. They're the kind of stories I like to read. They talk to you about how you overcome challenges. What builds resilience? What do you do after you suffer a loss that is humiliating and everybody's telling you you, you, you stink and they knew you were going to be a failure anyway, right? So there's lots of stuff about sports I love, but I just wanted to end with maybe you guys saying why you love working in sports to just kind of reiterate why it's important to have women in, in this universe. I mean, there's nothing that I've ever loved as much as I love basketball and there's never any job that made sense for me. This is the only job I ever set out to do, and it's the only one I ever want to do. And there's so many things about sports that make me ha- I mean, you learn teamwork and discipline and the the feelings and emotions that you get at the pinnacle of glory and winning. And you also learn how to go through crushing defeat and grief. And that spectrum of emotions, I think, is really important for people to learn. And as they're growing up, if they can learn that before they're an adult, I feel like it's incredibly valuable and you can get that through sports. And those are the kind of stories that I want to tell, which is why I love covering sports. And I mean, I'm biased in thinking the NBA has the best stories. (laughs) (laughs) See, and Michelle will debate that because she loves college sports. But yeah, why why do you want to work in sports, Michelle? And you've had trouble getting opportunities, uh, consistent opportunities. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know what? I love it. Because it found me. I didn't seek it out. This is not what I actually envisioned for my life at all. I thought, you know, I would go into law enforcement or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but one Also of the- a very sexist profession. <laughs> my sister works as a police officer. <laughs> uh, but when I was in school, uh, one of the, the student athletes that was currently there, Robert Johnson just talked to me in class and he told me his life story and it was the most incredible thing I had ever heard. I was like, you know, it would be kind of cool to tell stories like that. And three years later, four years later, like I decided to go for it. And you know what? It was the best decision I've ever made. I've learned so many things that, you know, I'm from Salt Lake Mm -hmm. and it's not a diverse place. Unless you look to the sports world and I'm a much smarter, kinder, better person for it. And on the flip side, you know, I, I get messages all the time from people. I point you out to my daughter Mm -hmm. as an example of something that you could aspire to be and not that they have to go into sports, but just you have options other than being someone's side piece. And I think that's, such a good point. I get the same kind of messages yeah. and it's that's part of the solution is so that rewarding. Yeah. The more women that we have in sports journalism, in coaching and training staffs, in all of these positions throughout sports, the more opportunity there is for a little girl to have someone to look up to. Which because, I, I didn't have that when I was growing up. I did no. not have that living here in Salt Lake. No, there there was no one like me. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember, I mean, I looked up to Doris Burke and mm-hmm. uh, and Shelly Smith, mm-hmm. and I always thought, they're the best. I could never get to that because they're the only ones that mm-hmm. made it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now we have, I mean, just in this room, we've got two that are in the city. There's more in this city, too. Yeah. It's getting to the point where you can look across the board and say, like, oh, yeah, you can absolutely go into sports. My parents never thought I was going to make it. Well, my my dad actually said to me, who's going to pay you to write about sports? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, watch it, Dad. Yeah. Literally, my yeah. mom said, are you sure? <laughs> and that, no, and my mom is incredibly it's not, supportive. Exactly. It's not. It's just that we're all sort of, I say, we're all raised in this same sexist society. Like, like really? Like, they don't see any women there either, right? So why would they think their kid could be successful? And they want us to be successful. Right. They and didn't want it to be hard for me. Exactly. My mom's like, well, I just don't want to see you get your heart broken. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I, I hate to tell you this, but it's been happening all my life. <laughs> so this is just the latest in a string of heartbreaks. But, but you know, it's been fun to um, to cover things. There was a game I covered once where there were four women at the game. We took a selfie and we put it out on Twitter. We were all covering a football game. It was a high school playoff game. But like I was, that was an a great, amazing moment. And then those women leave, and I will tell you this: 
that the toxicity on Twitter, the toxicity in organizations, the toxicity in the media itself, because the media here is very is just as sexist as the organizations we're covering. And I say that not to be critical, but to be real. Like, let's fix this. Because those women leave this market. They leave these jobs. They go. I know some who've become teachers or done other things because it's too emotionally draining to deal with it all the time. I've been thinking about it a lot. And I think the ironic thing is most of the women that cover sports, they they do the really amazing in-depth stories and you, they make, they allow athletes to have their voices heard. But the ironic thing is the amount of love that we show them, we don't get back. Yeah. I would say that is true. Yeah. I mean, I, Mark brought it up in the beginning of our conversation. There's the wall there that, you know, automatically there's sort of a feeling that the the media, we're the enemy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's true. I mean, across the board for even male reporters, mm-hmm. there there should be a little bit more understanding there. It's like we, we don't want to be the enemy. We're almost never looking to get some dirt on anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd much rather write a profile on someone and describe the reason they got into sports and why they're happy and why they love it and let people have a peek inside of their life than I would write about drama. That's yeah. draining. Yeah. No, I don't I don't think anybody – I covered – listen, I've covered news and nothing's more controversial than like a city council meeting and, you know, and it is – you dread it when there's a problem. It's not something – when you texted me, I was like, oh, do I have the emotional bandwidth for this? Right. Because it's just the conflict. Right. You don't we don't go in looking for that. And I, I, I love what you said, Michelle, because I have felt that I've worked really hard with coaches. I've been there I when they've had an issue and they've called me and said, can you get a, some help? Can you do a story on this? Mm-hmm. And I've spent the time digging into it and doing a story. But when they get the chance to do something to pay a reporter back, they don't pay me back. They pay back the big columnist or the top reporter, you know. The, and it, it's not even on yeah. that level, though, because yeah. it's I have used my resources to help people in this market get ahead. Yeah. Haven't heard from them since. Yeah. But they have a nice, comfortable job. Yeah. Not me. Yeah. And I, I do think that there isn't any support. There's not enough of us. Right. Like, what, what are, how are we going to support each other? I mean, I've I've remember filling in for the, you know, I did sidebars for the jazz when we were in between reporters and so they you know they were desperate one time they said can you go <laughs> i actually volunteered and they were like we want someone who who knows basketball and i said you know i played basketball and i'm like the only one <laughs> but but you know it's silly cuz you're as a sidebar person you're doing the feature you're doing something that i love to do right you're looking for that offbeat story so but i remember the guys were talking about going out after and then they looked at me and they like me i know they don't dislike me but they were like so did you want to come? And I was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> but I know they were nervous. I was going to say yes. <laughs> and the good thing that I have in that situation is that I'm like the most overbearing person on the like jazz media contingency. And so I'm the one that's like, hey, guys, we're meeting at this bar at this time. You're coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and 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 I that, another reason I, I chose not to be as social with my colleagues was because People start rumors, and right. I felt like the way to avoid it. And so you miss out on those networking opportunities. And I'm sure, especially being single, I know I've had to confront people who've said bad stuff before. This, I mean, these are just all the things. And like I said, don't want to turn this into a complaint session, but there's a myriad of issues, and, and there's a lot of different ways in which we're excluded. And if you want to undo that and make this an environment in which women can work and thrive, and you will benefit as fans, I promise. Uh, I mean, I... I read your both of your stories. I listen to your I'm loving your new podcast. I listened to it today at lunch. And I just thought how lucky we are to have these women. Jordy, that you just promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, she and I brainstormed ideas like how can we get more eyes on women's basketball, right? Um, she's absolutely accommodating. I'm texting her, calling her. She's like, I'm at the gym working out. I'll call you back in 20 minutes, right? Like she's just uh, always available because she knows that's what she needs to do to promote those women and those athletes. But I just want to make it so everybody's thinking this is your responsibility. It's your responsibility as a fan. It's your responsibility as a coach. Invite women to come in and talk to you about what's not working in this environment because it doesn't change if we don't keep talking about it. And I'm going to be more vocal about it and 
I encourage everyone to be more vocal, not to be complaining, to be like, this is silly. This is not, we don't need this. If, if someone was suffering and I was part of that, what was making them sad and suffering, I would want to know. Mm-hmm. And I would want to fix it. So that's the purpose. So. Yeah, I just I just don't look at it as complaining. Although I can see why you guys are saying that. I just you just how do you how do you listen or grow if you don't hear these kind of things? Just sitting here for the last hour, you know, I, I, it's just it's just really really helpful. And I think it's it's good that we're having this dialogue. We would like every athletic director to have this conversation, you know, and and every high school athletic director, and every you know, everybody in a professional. But we know, as we talk, this is outside yeah. of sports. This yeah. is sports because we're here talking about what we do. But this is this is. I mean, my daughter and I talk about this all the time as she's getting ready to go to college and those kind of things. I mean, yeah. this is it's not exclusive is, to sports. Yeah, yeah. this is just yeah. an an overall issue of 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 what just needs to get better. Clearly, yeah. Unfortunately, there's just a segment of sports people. Who thinks sports belongs to men and, and the fans to, that come along? And with we're that trying to steal it from them. Ha ha ha! So. We'll get it. I'm doing a pretty good job. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we, it's over, dudes. I'm yeah. telling you. <laughs> that <laughs> secret society. Fifty percent of football fans are women. So you know, it's and true. I don't know what the NBA breaks down as. But well, one hundred percent of the NBA coverage from the Deseret News is from a woman. <laughs> true. I did read something <laughs> by Jay Drew. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I'm just going to make look myself look bad. Look at you. <laughs> you oh, see, that's true. I hey. stole it. I, over. How does it feel to be overlooked? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Take that, Jay. <laughs> no, we love Jay. Anyway, thank you all for joining us. Thanks for having this conversation. I hope it continues. My point in doing this was to say this is not a one-person, one-incident situation. It's ongoing. There are women who want to be in this in this universe, and they will... Like I said, we will all be enriched if it happens. So join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have comments about the show, please contact us via email, voramed at gmail.com or jason with an E, L, at gmail.com. On Twitter, I'm AD on sports and Jason is at Jason Lee one. Our show's Twitter handle is at VOR podcast. Check out our Facebook page and you can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. Uh, Share this with your friends. We'd love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Amy Donaldson. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.